Our scripture reading today, I'm reading from the New Living Translation Holy Bible. Uh, we're reading chapter 2 of Job's 1 through 10. And that chapter is entitled, Job's Second Test. One day the angels came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, the accuser, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I have been going back and forth across the earth, watching everything that is going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and will have nothing to do with evil, and he has maintained his integrity, even though you persuaded me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord, Skin for skin, he blesses you only because you bless him. A man will give up everything he has to save his life, but take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with a terrible case of boils from head to foot. Then Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a godless woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. And now we'll read from Hebrew chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Jesus Christ is God's Son. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he made the universe and everything in it. The sun reflects God's own glory, and everything about him represents God exactly. He sustains the universe by the mighty power of his command. After he died to cleanse us from the stain of sin, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God of heaven. This shows that God's Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is far greater than their names. Our gospel reading this morning comes from Mark, chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. Would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Mark, chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together... Let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. 
and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Well, this morning, much as when Hannah was born, I have already been assured that what I'm going to say in the next 15 or 20 minutes, that most people probably won't hear very much of it, that is on your mind this morning. Uh, so I have a few pictures for you, if we can get them up there on the screen. Malachi Christopher Young was born this past Wednesday at 5.09 p.m., uh, coincidentally born on the 30th, just as Hannah was born on the 30th in January rather than September. Eight pounds and five ounces, and uh, we're very happy to welcome him into our family and into this church family and into this world. I'll let you enjoy the pictures there so you know you can get your baby fixed and we can move on to the Word of God. <laughs> and Hannah is already becoming a very good big sister. So that's Malachi Christopher Young. You know, it's uh, almost a cliche. It is a cliche to say that children are a blessing or that, it's, that what we experienced this week was such a blessing. And I, I'm somebody who hates cliches. Uh, I hate to kind of repeat this accepted wisdom. Uh, but the, the reality is that it's so true. Uh, and it's just hard to say it any other way. I, I almost hate to use that word blessed or blessedness or blessing because sometimes I think that we use it so much that we start to forget what it means. But there really is just no other word to describe it. Uh, that we are truly blessed that we've been given this, this gift by God and just for a lack of a better word, we, we really are blessed. We're so fortunate. In fact, uh, the birth of our son reminded me of just how blessed and how fortunate we are in so many different aspects of our lives. As uh, I was in the hospital, and, or we were in the hospital, and in the, the delivery room there waiting on Malachi to arrive, uh, I was, you know, I had my, my laptop there with me. I know some of you have kind of given me a hard time as if a laptop is one of my organs that I'm, I can't be separated from it. Uh, so it was there with me and uh, was posting, uh, you know, uh, status updates on Facebook, the social networking site where you can be connected to friends and family and stuff like that. Uh, and so it was posting comments along the way, you know, saying that we were going to the hospital and then later, later saying that we were expecting Malachi within the hour and continually giving these updates so that others could, could see what was going on. And uh, aside from just being absolutely blessed to have our new son, I was reminded about how blessed we were because of all the, the comments that we got on those status updates. You know, people, you can click this little button where people can say that they like your, your status. Uh, and it's just kind of a way of affirming what you've said or, you know, being encouraging. Or people can leave comments on your status there on Facebook. And uh, I, I have no idea how many people commented. 
um, you know, just saying congratulations and, you know, you're so blessed and, and on and on. And some of you left comments uh, as well. And I just thought to myself, you know, how blessed we are not only to have the Son, but for Him to enter into a world, enter into a, a family, an extended family, and a church family where there's so much love and, and so much care for Him and for us. That uh, as different people commented there, I was reminded of all the friends that we have from college and from seminary and what a blessing it's been to, to be a part of those Christian communities and to be shaped by them and to have those friends. And, and what a blessing it was just to have that education. What a blessing it, it has been to grow up in families, Jess and I both, in families that have loved us and have cared for us and looked after us. And the blessing that it is to be here in this church and to be a part of this family with all of you. I cannot come up with words to express how grateful I am to be here with you and how caring and loving that you have been toward me and toward my family. It has been absolutely overwhelming the way that you have been faithful to God by providing so generously for us. And so I thank you for that this morning. But among all these things, aside from just the comments there that were on Facebook, I was reminded of just how blessed we are in other ways as well. You know, as I mentioned, Hannah is already becoming a, a great big sister, and she just continually does things that make us adore her more and more all the time. And Jess and I are blessed to uh, have a marriage of over six years now, and to have a lot of joy there and to just genuinely enjoy that relationship that we have with one another. The house that we live in, just so much, there's just so much blessing in our lives that often it is just overwhelming. That I just don't know what to do other than to just thank God again and again and again. And I don't say that to, to brag. I, I don't think that that's happened because of anything that I've done or Jess has done or because we deserve it in any way at all. In fact, uh, you know, it's been interesting to, to think about uh, the book of Job this week. You heard Job chapter 2 earlier as the sermon text this morning, and it's been interesting to think about that in light of just how blessed we are. Because, obviously, in the book of Job, we find this story of tremendous suffering. It doesn't start out that way. It starts out much as the kind of story that I was just describing for Jess and I. Job is a blessed man, as the book begins. He has it all. We find there, right in the beginning of the book of Job, if you want to look in your Bibles there, Job chapter 1, we find out that Job has ten children, seven sons and three daughters, and that his possessions are there listed as 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and many servants. Now, you know, the, the idea of oxen and donkeys don't get me particularly excited, uh, but of course, in the ancient 
agricultural world that Job lived in, this showed that he was an extremely wealthy man. In fact, the text tells us there in chapter 1 that he was the greatest of all the men of the East. He was the greatest of all the men in his area, the most influential, the most powerful, the most wealthy. Job knew what it meant to be blessed. He was the poster child for blessing, the very example of blessedness in Scripture. But then we get this strange conversation. And it is indeed strange because it is quite different from much of what we see in the rest of the Bible. We get this strange conversation between God and Satan, or the Satan, as he's called in the Hebrew of the book of Job. The definite article is affixed to the beginning of his name. So there's this strange conversation between Job and the Satan, and and the Satan comes before God, uh, along with all the other sons of God, the text says, and they present themselves before God. There's a lot going on here that we don't understand. We don't know exactly what this is referring to. But the Satan comes and presents himself before God, and God asks him, where have you been? And he says, I've been roaming back and forth across all of the earth. And God asks the Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He is righteous and upstanding. God picks out Job as one of the greatest of his servants, as someone who is an example of faithfulness, an example of what it means to be obedient to God. And the Satan's response to God is interesting. He says, yeah, sure, but does Job fear God for nothing? In other words, I think what he's saying is, Yes, Job is obedient to you. Job reverences you. He gives you the proper level of fear. But why does he do that? Isn't it because you've always given him everything that he's ever asked for? Is Job really in this for you? For God? Or is he in it for himself? There's a test here of what kind of faith Job has. Is it a faith that is about himself or a faith that is about the God that he serves? Does he serve God only because of all the ways that God has provided for him? Or would he continue to serve God no matter the circumstances? And so, as a part of this very strange conversation between God and the Satan, there is this arrangement that is made where God allows the Satan to put Job to the test. He allows him to go and take everything that he has. In fact, the the story is told in such a way that as one of Job's servant comes in to tell him that so many of his sons have died and the, the cattle have been carried off and whatever else, the very next servant comes in before that one can even finish speaking and he says the same thing and he says, I'm the only one left. And another servant comes in and over and over again, Job gets this horrible news that all of his children have died. That all of his wealth has been stolen. And Job refuses to curse God. Refuses to turn against God in that situation. And so the Satan pushes the test a bit farther. He comes back to God and he says to him, skin for skin. He says, sure, you took away all that Job has, but Job still has his health. A man would do anything to protect his own health, his own well-being. And so God says, okay, 
All you have to do is spare his life. But you can do whatever you want to Job other than kill him. And so after Job has lost everything, now the Satan comes and inflicts painful boils on him. So painful, in fact, that as he sits there in the ash heap mourning, he takes a piece of broken pottery and uses it to scrape the boils off of his skin because that's more comfortable than dealing with the boils themselves. You know, as I hear the story of Job, I'm amazed by it. I'm amazed at the kind of faith that Job has. The kind of trust in God that he has. You know, I, I don't know if there continue to be conversations like this between God and the Satan, or if this is even the same character that Jesus mentions in the New Testament. I'm not exactly sure how we're supposed to understand this conversation, but I do wonder one thing. I wonder that if God and the Satan character still had conversations like this today. I wonder if he would say much the same thing about me as he said about Job. I wonder if he would say much the same thing about our church as he said about Job. Of course Dave Young fears you. Of course he's obedient to you. He's, you've given him everything that he's ever asked of you and much more. And what about Clinton Church of the Nazarene? Of course they fear you. Of course they worship and serve you. Look at the way that you've provided for them over and over again. I mean, after all, we are pretty blessed people, aren't we? We've, many of us have enjoyed some of those same blessings that I mentioned in my life this morning. Many of us have had the joy of families that have cared for us and have had the joy of having children that we've had the opportunity to care for. And if we're here this morning, we've had the joy of having a church family that cares for us. And by the standards of the rest of the world, we all live in extreme wealth and luxury. So we are indeed a blessed people. Now, of course... There is suffering among us. I'm not saying that our lives are perfect. There's always going to be somebody else that seems to have more than we have. Someone else that seems to have it better than we do. So this morning as we come to the book of Job, this is not an attempt to put on rose-colored glasses. This is not an attempt to just say that everything is happy and great and that there's no suffering or pain among us. I know that there is. I've heard time and time again the suffering, the pain, the hurt that we all deal with. And so that is indeed a reality. And we should indeed mourn the losses in our lives. We should be honest about the pain and hurt that we experience. We shouldn't push that aside. We have to deal with it. But I believe that in spite of all that, we are still a very blessed people. 
And that it's important that we recognize that. Most of us don't know what it is to go without a meal except by choice. Most of us have rather luxurious places to live. And we enjoy the love of friends and family and a church family. In fact, it goes beyond even what we enjoy as individuals and as families. Even as a church, we enjoy the freedom to practice our faith without persecution. We enjoy unbelievable resources with which to do ministry. Week after week, we worship in this beautiful sanctuary. So despite whatever we have lost as a church and as individuals and as families, we are still an extremely blessed people. Blessed beyond all measure. So it makes you wonder, if we did go through a test like Job's, what kind of faith would we have? Would we continue to be faithful to God even through the darkest trials? What if we lost everything? What if our world was in shambles? Where would our faith be then? It's an important question for us to ask. In fact, I'm sure it's one that many of us have asked before. We've been there. Maybe you're there now. Suffering through a time of darkness and trial. Maybe right now you're wondering what kind of faith you'll have in the midst of that trial and temptation. In our sermon text this morning, Job's wife comes to him after he's been inflicted with these boils. And she says to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Obviously, Job's wife had the gift of encouragement. But Job's response runs right to the heart of his faith. He says, will we accept good from God and not accept evil? And the text tells us that in all that Job endured, he never sinned with his lips. He never cursed God. To be sure, Job questions God. That is what much of the book is about. Job questions God. He he asks God to show up and to vindicate him. To show that this suffering is not because of any sin on his part. And he asks why it is that God is allowing this to happen. So all of those things are within the realm of our faith. We can question God. We can cry out to God. We can ask God to be present in our suffering. We can spill out our hearts to Him. And know that He will respond in loving kindness, as one who suffers with us, as one who sent His own Son to die on a cross as He inhabited our own flesh. Our God is not one who leaves us alone in our suffering. He is one who is there by our side. But in the midst of those hard times, in the midst of those trials and that suffering, even as we question, even as we ask God to be present. There is one thing that God calls upon us to do even then. And that is to be a faithful witness to Him. We must be a people who are a faithful witness to God 
in the hard times as well as the good. In fact, I think we have to ask ourselves this morning that if we are willing to have faith in God, to place our trust in God only when things are going well, but then when things aren't going so well, we lay all the blame at His feet and we begin to not have trust in Him anymore. Is that even something that we can call faith? The faith that we're called to as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of the One who went all the way to the cross and to His own grave, continuing to trust His Father for all things, as people who call Jesus Lord, we are ones who must continue to have faith even in the hard times. We must continue to be faithful even in times of darkness and mourning. Because when we do that, we show that this faith is not about us. That just as Job was put to the test to see whether or not this faith was about him or whether or not it was about God, so we also are sometimes put to the test to see if we will only serve God as long as He is doing things for us. But we are called to have a faith that serves God no matter the circumstances, no matter the problems. Later on in the book of Job, as Job is sitting there arguing with his three friends who have come to be with him in his time of suffering, but then who turn out to not be such great friends because they're accusing him of having sinned, and that's the reason that this suffering has come upon him. In his conversation with those friends, Job says this remarkable thing. He says about God, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Those are hard words for us. Maybe even a little bit offensive. How could we have faith in a God who would slay us? How can we have faith in a God who would do something to somebody that God allows to ha- what, like what God allows to happen to Job here in this book? But the reality is that we must have a faith that shows that we trust God no matter the circumstances, believing that He holds us in His loving arms. So as the church, whether we see good times or whether we see hard times, we must be a people who are faithful witnesses to the God who loves us and who has the power to redeem us. Now receive the benediction. May the God who is the giver of all good gifts sustain us by His power, even through the dark places in our lives, so that we might be faithful witnesses to His Lordship in us. To the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.